All right. Last week, we talked about Matthew chapter 3, and the, the, the sermon was on learning from Jesus, because in the, in the baptism of Jesus, he set an example for us of how to deal with shame, all right? What we saw was some important things. Number one, Jesus was on mission. When I say, talk about being on mission, here's what I'm saying. Live in such a way that the number one priority of your life is to please the Lord. Can I get an amen on that? That's what it means to be on mission. It means your life is not your own. How many know Jesus was on mission? What was he doing there when all this amazing occasion happened? He was taking on our sin and our shame. He was being baptized by John the Baptist, even though, as John pointed out, Jesus, you need to be baptizing me, not the other way around. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And at that moment, he was identifying with the mission of his Father. Now, let me just tell you something. When you're on the mission of your Father, you need to know that you're moving in the favor of God. This is important because you know what? The church is called to live in faith. The church is called to do great exploits. The church is called to be out on the cutting edge. How I many of you know it takes faith to be out there? Some of you might not have ever experienced that, but trust me, if you'll ever stick your neck out for God, it takes courage. And there's people out there that actually don't like you. It takes courage. So you need to know when you wake up in the morning and your eyeballs open that God loves you, God is for you, not against you, that the goodness of God is on your life because this creates faith in your heart when you operate from that identity. Does this make sense? So what does God do over his son? He rips the heavens open, which is a sign of his favor. And I want you to see something. God had spoken previously in a similar fashion in the old covenant at the occasion of giving the law. With Moses, and Moses' face shone like a bright light. And you all remember that story. Now God is introducing the covenant of grace, and he's screaming from heaven to let everybody know something very special is happening. He's speaking in words of endorsement over his son, and just so nobody missed the occasion, the Holy Spirit is poured out on Jesus in the form of a dove so that people could actually see in a physical manifestation what was happening in the spiritual. We shared last week, we will never live free from shame, and never be able to accomplish the mission of God unless we are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. So get ready. There's a series coming. It's, it's percolating on how we host the Holy Spirit in our lives personally and in our church. Because how many of you know he's the most important guest? And if he doesn't show up, we're in trouble. So we want this church to be full of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? And, and, and I'm just telling you, when we're... We, exhi we exhibited more joy welcoming some new members to our church family than some churches experience in church in a, in a year. This place should be full of the joy of the Lord every week. That doesn't mean we're not struggling. It doesn't mean we're not dealing. It means there's a tangible sense that we have been set free by the power of the gospel and that God loves us and he's for us. And so when people come in, they get rocked. When they come into the atmosphere, they're like, what is going on here? Y'all have a vision with, uh, for that with me, all right? That's what we're after, the presence of the Lord. So we're going to get into how we carry him and how we, how we honor him and how we live in a way that brings him glory. And then God cannot contain himself, and God yells out loud in the, in the presence of people that were there. They hear, they hear this. Sounds like thunder. This is my boy. This is my beloved son. 
And I am well pleased with his person. I'm well pleased with his ministry. It's this sense that this, my son, brings me joy. It is the father who cannot contain his affection for his beloved son, Jesus. And Jesus, now I'm modeling this, or he's modeling this for us, because right on the heels of this incredible experience, I want you to look at what happens next. We're going to talk about this this morning. We're going to talk about identity under attack. Right after the Father's blessing comes a massive attack from hell itself. Jesus is trying, or Satan rather, is trying to hijack Jesus' story, his mission. And his chief strategy is to go after the identity of Jesus. Now, at our encounters, we have our, our final session is called Monday's Coming. Now, why would you have a session called Monday's Coming? Because there in the kingdom of God, there are great breakthroughs, and then there are counterattacks by the devil. Have any of you ever experienced that? In other words, you have this incredible answer to prayer, this incredible time of worship, this incredible breakthrough, and on the heels of that, the devil's waiting to steal the victory. All through the Gospels, you see this. Jesus does a miracle. I promise you, right after a great miracle, there's a demonic attack. You read the Gospels. Attack, counterattack, attack, counterattack, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. Uh, There's a contest going on on planet Earth for human beings and for their souls. And look at what it says in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is the first activity of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life after his Father's endorsement. Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Let's just pause right there. Can I just remind you that if you're in a wilderness, it might be a wilderness that's been initiated by God through the Holy Spirit, not to harm you, but to grow you. The wilderness should never be interpreted as a sign of God's displeasure for you. Can we just settle this because of Jesus? There is no displeasure in the Father's heart for you in Christ. God's not punishing you in this season of your life. God is trying to grow you. God is trying to establish you. God is trying to reveal more of his goodness. And yes, he is trying to father you, but he's never trying to harm you. This is important. Why? Because he's a good, good father. And because he who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not with Christ bless us with everything we need? That's the gospel. So you operate from an identity as a son or a daughter, and you stop interpreting challenges as God's displeasure. This is very important. I don't know about you, but we're ministering this morning under a sky that's been split wide open by the Son of God, and the favor of God is on you and is on God's people. you got to believe it and receive it. It's the truth. Notice the name given for Satan here is not Satan. It's not Satan means adversary. I think the name is highly strategic. The name given here in verse 1 is the devil, Diabolos. This word devil means false accuser, slanderer, one who utters false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another's reputation. In the secular Greek, it meant a backbiter. Now, this is important. God just declared his heart for his son, and one verse later, the devil, the slanderer, the accuser, the person who's out to defame you, to tell you lies about who you are and about what God thinks about you. 
Have any of you ever had this thought? You know, I'm all alone. I'm going to have to figure this out by myself. You know, I don't know where God is. In fact, I'm kind of upset with God. He just hasn't seemed to show up the way that I wanted him to. In fact, I've been praying for this situation, and I'm not seeming to get any answers here. And man, the devil just lies and lies and just slaps the reputation of God in your heart and in your mind. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, as soon as you, we just sang about who we are in Christ, we walk out of here today, and I promise you, the slanderer, Diabolos, will be speaking to you. They'll be running the tapes in your mind about who you are. So he's going to be attacking Jesus and attacking the identity of Jesus. In fact, look at verse 2. For 40 days and 40 nights, it says Jesus fasted, and he became, and I like this, this language, not just hungry, very hungry. I want to remind you that if Satan is not afraid to attack Jesus, then what does that say about you and me? I mean, can we just pause right there? If the devil will go after the Son of God, why would we think that maybe we're off limits, that he's not going to mess with us? In fact, I think it's just the contrary. The devil is going after the identity of Jesus, and he's trying to use the weapon of shame. I'm going to show you that in a moment. Shame will do everything it can to distract you from the Father's message over your life. Here's the Father's message. You are enough, and you are valuable. That's the Father's message. But if you're not careful, you will fall right back in to those nasty old shame tapes that have played in your mind for years and years and years. Let me tell you something else that's important. Um, Let's look at Satan's shameful scheme, which is the scheme of isolation. Notice Jesus is driven into the wilderness. Now, the Holy Spirit's doing the driving, and the wilderness is important. But let me just tell you something. We're going to get into this in weeks to come. One of the things that shame does is it keeps you in isolation. It keeps you in hiding. Sometimes people have said this, I don't ever want anybody to know what I did. This is going to be a lifelong secret. That's the devil talking. Because this is interesting. Let's say I do something wrong in my relationship with Pastor Dick, and because I've done something wrong, there's guilt, and then there's shame because I know I was wrong. Now, at church, we do this all the time. We just sit on opposite sides of the sanctuary. We do. Or we're going to go to a different service so we don't have to see that scoundrel. How many of you know it's not how you deal with, with things in Christ's family? How, how, let, me, let me just pop some more bubbles. How many you know unforgiveness is not acceptable? Resentment is not acceptable. Uh, bitterness, not acceptable. Cancer, it's cancer. So I have to face the person that where the offense came, or I need to face my family, you. And that's why Encounter Weekends are so powerful, because there are men that will share things that they never have shared with anybody in their lives. And here's why this is important, because when you pull that garbage out of your life, all the shame that's dripping off of that nasty situation, and you tell another man of God, or you tell ladies another woman of God, and you bring it out, and you get out of the isolation, that's when God begins to set you free. Now listen, some of you in this room, I don't know if I'm going to go to one of those encounters, man. That just sounds, I don't know. That's the voice of Diabolos. He wants to keep you disconnected and hiding. I'm not going to go to that marriage class, man. That play, They talk about everything in that marriage class, man. They just lay it all out on the table. That's why we have great marriages. Because we don't hide it. You can go to all kinds of churches that will hide. 
And, and they're what Jesus called whitewashed sepulchers. He, they're painted nice and clean on the outside. They're, on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. Listen, I, I'm going to say this again. There are some men sitting here. What's holding you back from moving in on the mission is you still won't be vulnerable with other men and be honest about the garbage that's still in your heart. And when you realize, listen, listen, this is important. When you realize you're surrounded by a bunch of men with the same garbage, then you realize your garbage is not special garbage. <laughs> it's just stinky, run-of-the-mill, normal garbage, like the rest of us. But the devil will think you have an exceptional anointing on the garbage in your life. You're a specially gifted garbage collector and garbage maker. But you're just normal. You're just a regular run-of-the-mill garbage person like the rest of us. So this is important. You, you can only get healed in the presence of people. Some people say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to go confess it in my prayer closet to the Lord. Am I forgiven? Yeah, I think you're forgiven. I think the Lord meets you there. But you're not healed. You're forgiven, but you're not free. Because listen, it, listen to this deception. It's the devil talking again. You're more comfortable sharing your junk with God than you are with a fellow human being who's just as messed up as you. That is screwed up. That is really screwed up. Think about it. We're more comfortable with the sinless, perfect Holy, holy, holy God than we are with this guy next to me who's just as messed up as I am. Freedom comes when you're able to release it. When Gary comes up here and says in front of 500 people, I struggle with addiction. Just last week at church, I had some trauma. I look like that. I'm with my... I mean, you know, that's called transparency. And here's the cool thing. Gary, I can't where you at. Wave at me. You're, you're... Oh, yeah, now he leaves when I'm trying to talk to him. <laughs> but how many of you sense even as he's talking, there, there's life coming off of his spirit? And see, here's the cool thing. That guy has a crazy calling on his life. But he's been living under shame for so long, he doesn't even know who he is. Can I just share another nugget with you? When God revealed himself to his people, his name was I Am. You all remember that in the Bible? I Am. We got a bunch of people today trying to figure out who they am, all right? They're trying to figure out their identity. And I mean, you know, God hasn't given you the permission to create your own identity. This isn't not like which part of the alphabet or what pronoun do you want to use or somebody. No, no, no. You don't get to make up reality. I want to show you something. If you said, Pastor, who are you? This is what I would respond to. I am Ron Johnson. I cannot even define myself without saying God's name first. So every time I try to express myself, I have to start by saying I am. Because I am am nothing apart from the fact that he is and he defines me 
And so check this out. If you want to find out who you am, who you are, you cannot be anything apart from recognizing with your own mouth the great I am who helps you become who you are called to be. Oh, I am a meat lover. Yep, I just praise the Lord again. I'm a, I'm a, I am a sports lover. I just worshiped him again. I cannot make any declaration about myself without first worshiping God. This is profound. So quit trying to define yourself and surrender to the one who defines you and frees you. Some of you, your best version is just around the corner. I'm enticing you. Your best version of you is just around the corner. God's just trying to peel all the garbage off and the mud off and the junk off and set you free. Your most anointed self. You're going to be astounded by who you are and what God's called you to do. I wish I had the time this morning. Mm, I hate that clock. Um, Kenny Huffnagel's here with his father, by the way. We welcome Dad to the house this morning. Love you, sir. But Kenny Huffnagel shared his story growing up, just meeting his biological dad. But what he went through, some of the abuse, some of the hurt, all, all, all the fatherlessness stuff. And I kid you not, I sat in the back, Kenny, and I cried like a baby. Because here's why I cried. I cried not only because of the pain you went through, but I cried because of your vulnerability to share it. And then here's why I really cried. Because I see the glory of God on your life. I see the love of God. I see the wisdom of God. I see the anointing of God. Not because you, you're somebody special in your own right, but because you've handled the abuse and the hurt you went through, and you're willing to share that with others. And there's just a glory on you. I thought... Your heart, the grace that you have, the way you honor and the way that you love is amazing. And I just want to tell you, from this clay pot right here, with the Holy Spirit speaking in this clay pot, God loves you so much, and you have what it takes, and, and God's going to use you in your tenderness and gentleness and your willingness to persevere. I just stand in awe of the goodness of God on your life. And I thank you for sharing it publicly because I'm a better man because of you. That's what I want to say. <laughs> Where's Gary? Gary, you got to read my notes. I can't see anything now. I helped you out earlier. Help me out, brother. Come on. What time's the service get over? I forgot. I do so, at first service, I do so well, staying right on, the, on track. But, man, you guys mess me up. I got I to gotta, I gotta skip a bunch of stuff. Hey, I don't like it either, all right? But if I go a little bit over because of where we're at, I, I mean, you know, this is a great season where we're at. The Holy Spirit is moving, and we've just begun, and I believe we're going to see the glory of the Lord. But that's why that, that clock becomes a problem now. But can I just tell you, in two years or less... I ain't having no clocks up there, nothing, man. We're, we're going we're gonna to roll, all right? We're going to roll. All right. Let me, let me talk fast. Let me talk fast. I want to show you three ways shame attacks Jesus' identity and attacks our identity. First of all is the performance chapter. Look with me in verses 3 and 4. During that time, it says the devil came and said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice Satan is going after Christ's identity. If, 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 it's just like all the way back in the Garden of Eden, what what Satan did with Adam and Eve. If you're the son of God, then do such and such. Now, I want to remind you, uh, according to the scriptures, Jesus had not yet begun his ministry. As far as we know, he has not performed any miracles. Here's the point. At 30 years of age, right after Christ's baptism, basically nobody on planet Earth knows him or knows who he is or knows his mission or what he's about. He hadn't, perfor- he hadn't had anybody believe in him in terms of salvation. He was hungry. Uh, and the question is, what contribution, Jesus, have you made to the world? I mean, he seemed like a loser. And our culture asks the same question. What have you achieved? How have you demonstrated your usefulness? What is it that you do? I mean, no, we're constantly pushed to define ourselves by what we do or how we achieve. Now, I don't know if Pastor, Pastor Andrew, get up here real quick. Uh, oh, how many of you love Pastor Andrew and appreciate his? Uh... When Pastor Andrew came to our house, I had talked to him about uh, birthdays, and it was his birthday coming up in August, right? I still remember. Yep. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. That is awesome. All right. So his birthday comes up in August, and he says he had never had a birthday. Tell him why. Never had, you had a birthday. You never had a birthday celebration. Yeah, birth, birthday celebration has always been growing. This was years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was always a sore spot for me. And as I dug into why that's the case, because when I was younger, I remember my grandfather, who was like, when he hit like 70 years old, they had a mega celebration for him. And my birthday was coming up. And I was asking, well, where's my birthday? And the message communicated to me was basically, well, we're celebrating him because he's accomplished so much. He did so much. Well, what have you done? What have you accomplished? So I've tied a sense of identity and shame really to my lack of accomplishment and birthdays. So you're not going to be celebrated for being born until you reach a level of achievement and then we recognize that you've done something with your life. And so when our family, of course, heard this, we just started licking our chops. And, and, uh, and we threw a surprise birthday party for Pastor Andrew. Now, let me tell you how powerful this was. I still remember this. We just let him know you are loved. You are celebrated. You are valued. Your life matters. We're so glad you were born. I mean, we celebrated him, and then we gathered around him, and we laid hands on him, and when we did, the Holy Spirit hit him, and he fell out on the carpet in the marriage classroom and laid there soaking in the glory of God. I mean, you know, that was a birthday party I don't think we'll ever forget. Well, I mean, I remember when I first shared that story with you, you challenged me. You are like, wait. We're celebrating your birthday because you're made in the image and likeness of God, not by your accomplishment. When you, I remember, I mean, this was years ago when you first said that. I was offended. I was like, that sounds kind of right, but it, it can't be right, right? Your worth is absolutely based on what you do, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of the wire in my whole entire life. And when you said that it broke something, it was like, ah, there's a degree of truth in there. I'm not sure what it is, but it sounds really, really good. Okay. So on the count of three, I want you to, to yell out loud, we love you, Pastor Andrew. One, two, three. We love you, Pastor Andrew. Oh, man. All right. That's the first one. I'm going to jump on for the sake of time. Second trap is the popularity trap. I am what others think I am. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, here's the lie again. If, 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 if you're the son of God, jump off. 
For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. As we mentioned earlier, at this point, Jesus is somewhat invisible. How in the world can he be the savior Jesus, if nobody knows you, let alone worships you. And I can just hear the devil putting these scenarios in Christ's mind. Hey, Jesus, this temple scenario is going to be a big hit. Man, you're going to jump off. The Father's going to rescue you. Word's going to spread. Everyone's going to bow before you and recognize who you claim to be. Everybody who hears about this is going to believe in you, Jesus. And I want you to see something powerful here in the Greek. This word uh, to... Th- uh, to cast himself off the temple is the word balo. It means to act impulsively. The idea here is a sense of urgency. So it's like the devil saying, just do it, Jesus. Jump off. Don't delay. Obey now. Do it, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. And can I just remind you all that when you hear a voice of urgency encouraging you to do something and you have not sought the Lord or you've not settled yourself before God, can I tell you that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. If, you're, if you feel a sense of urgency, you've got to act now. You've got to act now, like pressure buying. That's not how the Holy Spirit operates, but that's how the devil operates. How many of you have done something stupid because some friends of yours said, do it, man, do it, just do it, just jump, just do it. How many you know the devil will use your friends? And usually they sound just like them. And we don't think about the consequences of our actions. So don't fall for that trap. Isn't this interesting too? Just quickly. After the first temptation, Jesus rebuked the devil with the scripture. Thus saith the Lord, it is written. And the second time, what does Satan do? He comes and tempts Jesus with the word. How do you know the devil knows the Bible? But the devil's not saved. Let me just say this loud and clear. There are Christians who know the Bible that aren't saved. Let me tell you the difference. Satan does not have a passion for the Son of God in his heart. In other words, he doesn't believe and embrace. He just knows, he just knows what the Word says. And he will use the Scriptures against us when we don't do our own homework and know the Word of God. So I'm encouraging us today, know the Scriptures. In fact, he quotes an amazing passage from the Bible that Jesus was well aware of, Psalm 91, an amazing passage about trusting God to protect you. But look what he does. He twists it, and he attempts to replace trust with a test. He is testing God, and in doing so, he's questioning the faithfulness of God. So the second temptation here, is simply to focus on what other people think. Let me just say quickly, you can't follow a pastor who's more concerned with the congregation than with the Lord. I call these these folks pulpit prostitutes because we have a lot of pastors that will say what they think the congregation wants to hear instead of preaching the truth of God. Listen, the Bible says you're an unprofitable servant if you care about what people think more than you care about God, what God thinks. And so I just had to learn this, and not that I'm, I'm perfect, because I'm certainly not perfect, or that you just listen to your pastor, or I just hear a direct hotline from God, please hear me, that's not in my heart. But what God, if you're going to be used by the Lord, the first thing he has to free you from is your love of other people and other people's acceptance. In fact, the Bible says if everybody thinks you're just wonderful, you're probably not living the gospel very well. 
And, and I'm just telling you, you're part of a church. We, we've already drawn the line in the sand. You know, you know why we're experiencing a great move of God? Because we didn't have to wait for COVID to figure out what we believed. We already knew what we believed. And, and let me just tell you, COVID didn't change what we believed at all. We knew what we believed. We just kept doing what we were called to do. God's blessing us for that now, but how many of you know the time comes too when God's, when the enemy's watching all these testimonies, let me just throw something else out. Do you think he's not putting together a strategy for counterattack? Let me give you a word. Just make sure you're not part of the strategy. Keep your heart clean. Love one another. Forgive one another. Believe God. Don't let a rock of offense come in. And don't be offended when it hits the fan because we're standing for truth and we're going against the grain. We're swimming upstream because that's what you have to do when you're a lover of Jesus. You love him more than anything. And so Satan's like, come on, I'm going to create a congregation for you and they're all going to love you after you do this jump off the temple thing. It's going to be amazing. And Jesus basically tells them, get lost. I mean, you know, that's a good thing to say to the devil. Some of you just need to take that off of your words for people and apply it to the devil, and then it's all good. Don't tell your friend, hey, just get lost, will you, pal? Don't say that to the person on the highway. That's not good. But you can say it to the devil, and it's awesome, and it feels good. All right, just trying to help you guys out, lighten up, get a sense of humor. I will be done in three minutes, all right, or four or five, but quickly. All right, point number three, I'll close with this is the possession trap, which says this, I am what I have. Look at verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and of their glory. Now, this is a supernatural activity here because there's no mountain big enough to see all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. So this is probably something in the supernatural where he's given a picture, a panoramic view of the wealth, the splendor, the glory of nations and of kingdoms. And Satan says this, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. And Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. That's another good one you can use. For the scriptures say, it is written, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then it says, then the devil went away and the angels came back and they took care of Jesus. Now, listen to this, this testimony. Satan's basically saying, Jesus Look around at all these kingdoms and kings and splendor and everything else. He says, you don't even have anything. You don't have a place to lay your head. In fact, your father's not even feeding you. You haven't eaten for 40 days. You don't even have food. How can you think you're somebody? How do you think you're going to survive? Basically, Jesus, you're a nobody. You're a king without a kingdom. Where's your crown? Where's your throne? Where's your scepter? But if you'll just bow before me... I'll give you all of this splendor and glory. Now, isn't it ironic that Jesus knows who he is, and Jesus knows the Bible better than Satan does? I'm sure Jesus was running through Psalm 2 where the Lord says, Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. I'm sure Jesus was mindful of Paul's words coming down the pipe, uh, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. I'm sure he knew of the, of the promises of a great worldwide revival where the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth. Every nation, tribe, language, and tongue is going to be gathered before the throne, worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the darling of heaven. How I many you know Jesus at those moments has to remind himself with the truth of his identity in God and his mission? 
But the devil is savvy, and the devil is bold, and the devil is, is brash. And he even tries to use the Word of God against the Logos, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and the Word of God. This is crazy. But every time Jesus is written, can I just challenge you? i got one minute. Can I just challenge you all? Let's be students of the Word. And if there's an area where the devil has beat you up because of something shameful, I'm going to tell you two things. you got to repent. Repentance means bringing it to the light, which means not in just your prayer closet, with a brother or sister who is a safe person that you can bring it out in the open and say, I just need the Lord to cleanse me from this. And then you need to fill your mind with scriptures that remind you of the truth of who you are. Because when you're living in the reality of who you are as a son, you ready for this? You're moving in the joy of the Lord. My goal in teaching this series, because I'm trying to be a wise master builder and listen to the Holy Spirit, is what would happen in us corporately if we all started partaking of this medicine that I'm giving to you, myself included, and we got to where we no longer hung our heads in shame during worship, but where we could radiate the joy of the Lord and the glory of God off of our lives. What would happen to our relationships? What would happen when we left this place and people looked at us and saw the glory of the Lord coming off of our spirits? Y'all know what I'm talking about? What would happen when people ask you, why are you always smiling? You know, that would be a good thing. Why are you always smiling? I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And it feels so good. That's the, that's the mission of God. And that's, that's part of what we get to walk in. And can I just say this too? When, when my heart is free from shame, I'm able to really like you guys. Not just to be the pastor. And I love you in Jesus' name. No, I actually like you guys. When my heart is healed. And guess what? I'm a better pastor when I'm not living under shame and guilt. And guess what? You're a better congregation. When you guys are free to love each other and to love the Lord, and to love your pastor. So everybody wins, all right? Um, Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you real quick. And thank you for your patience. I know it gets to be crazy outside. Uh, I'm praying for this weather to break so we can get us a parking lot out there. ASAP. Come on. But Lord, in the meantime, this this is our reality. So I just, I want to invite you all. There will be people up front right after service. We say amen. Boom. Come on down. Why don't you deal with those shameful areas today? Don't carry the garbage out of here. Deal with it today. Let somebody love on you, minister to you, pray for you. Father, bless this beautiful group of sons and daughters. Fill us with your joy. Remind us of who we are. And Father, use us powerfully on mission this week. We give you all the glory and praise. And Father, help us in the midst of all this chaos, parking lot and in and out and waiting and all that stuff, Lord. Help us to be so full of love and so full of patience and so full of the joy of the Lord. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in all of our lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, love you all. If you need prayer, come on down.